thinking about that as we're singing, you know, the whole earth is filled with His glory. If, if we'll see it, and it's there, uh, sometimes not in the ways that we sometimes can recognize. I was uh, reading the headlines in the course of this week and saw where uh, Russia has now provided Iran with um, anti-aircraft uh, missile launchers as a part of their defense, knowing that some kind of an airstrike will probably hit their nuclear facility sometime in the next few months. And you look at that, I mean, you see all the things that are going on in the world, and we think some, your heart's going to sink related to certain things. But it's the glory of the Lord. It's all just moving toward His end. We just have to stay busy about telling people about the truth that's found in Him, the salvation that's found in Him, and... Uh, the last one out, turn off the lights, you know, kind of a thing. And so, chapter 32. Jacob has been called by the Lord, and it's very important to understand this, been called by the Lord to leave uh, Padan Aram, which is there in Mesopotamia. He is to return to his father's uh, land, uh, which is Canaan. But even more than that, he has been told by the Lord to return even to his family, who are living at this uh, present time, Isaac and the rest of the family living, except for Esau, who's living down in, in uh, Seir, which is the uh, land of Edom, which will become named after him. But the rest of the family is in a city called Hebron, in the, city, in the country of uh, area of Canaan and uh, so he's been called to go there he tries to sneak off and uh, you know without saying goodbye to his father-in-law Laban and uh, his father-in-law is pretty upset about that and uh, tracked him down wanted to do him harm but God uh, protected him from the harm that Laban wanted to do to him but it got messy they made a covenant but the covenant was basically you know may God look out for you because I can't and you're so untrustworthy only God can look out for you and uh, they set a little barrier up little uh, memorial out in the middle of the wilderness and said don't you come back over this line back toward me I won't come toward you for harm and uh, tap tap no erases and they went on uh, on their way on things and uh, so there's really no going back for Jacob back uh, to what he's known for the last 20 years the problem is, is that out in front of him, he is returning to a land uh, that is going to require him to come face to face uh, with his older brother by the name of Esau. And the last time he uh, saw Esau, Esau wanted to eat him for lunch. And so it's a mess behind him, it's a mess in front of him, at least as he, he sees it. And uh, so he's in a very, very difficult uh, trial and following this uh, what had to be for uh, Jacob Jacob is not a confrontive kind of person a very very uh, very very skilled in business very very skilled in how to manipulate a situation and in these kinds of things but really to come face to face and be upfront about who he is and what he's doing and then even with his family and all that's not something that he's very good at at all. So this meeting with Laban, his father-in-law, has really taxed him. And so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And so the angels were told in the book of Hebrews, they're ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. And so he probably had not uh, seen angels since 20 years earlier when he was leaving uh, Canaan and heading off to Mesopotamia uh, sent by his mother and uh, this would remind him of Bethel 
and uh, the angels coming to minister to him would probably be interpreted by him that God is involved in his life, God is involved in his situation, God's looking after him, God is taking care of him. And it was a reassurance that he needed to know that God has, uh, as he is obeying God's word, God has coupled the supernatural to his situation to protect him in uh, while obeying him. Uh, and so this is the way that he would have probably looked at it. I think that the angels were probably sent by God to Jacob in order to protect him. He is going to cross some very, very dangerous territory with a very, very large herds and flocks, uh, a very large family, and probably relatively few men that are a part of his kind of entourage. It's like a, uh, a meal for you know, the marauding kind of gangs and, and all uh, raiders which would hit these kind of caravans. And God supernaturally, I'm sure, protects him in the journey. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. He recognized the, the supernatural around his life at that time, and he called the place uh, Mahanaim. And then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. So he's got his problems kind of wrapped up behind him, got a big problem coming for him. And uh, so he sends some of his, his uh, entourage to go forward to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And that's located south of the, the Dead Sea. That's ultimately where Esau, his brother, uh, settled and established a group of people called the Edomites. And he tells his uh, servants there, commands them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant, so he's taking this position of humility, he has the birthright, he has the, the blessing and all, but he, he's going to approach his older brother now uh, from the position of humility. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban, stayed with him until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, uh, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. So he launches these messengers to go out ahead of him basically saying uh, knowing that his brother is going to hear about his return go out meet him before he gets to us in case he's really upset uh, still 20 years later and uh, let him know that I've got plenty of flocks I've got plenty of herds I've got plenty of family plenty of servants I'm coming back to Canaan not to take anything away from him in other words Esau Jacob is communicating Esau I'm no threat to you uh, in, in coming back. Then the messengers, they returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Now you usually don't bring 400 men with you uh, to break out a picnic basket and uh, hug each other and all that kind of thing. That was a... We're not talking, we're not talking about uh, countries at this time that are dominating that part of the world. The world that part of the world is dominated by tribes. To have an army of 400 armed men was to have a considerable kind of army. And you normally brought them with you when you thought you might run into trouble or you wanted to create a little bit of trouble. Now these messengers, I probably wouldn't send them out again. It would be like a one-strike-you're-out program on things. Because... They go out, they see Esau with the 400 men coming, they come back and they give the word to Jacob, but they don't bring any word about Esau's emotional state. 
Uh, is he bent on revenge? Is he bent on, you know, greeting us as we come back into the land? Can you tell me anything more about, you know, what his state of mind is? And they didn't, you know, try and, and get any more information than that. And because Jacob doesn't know that, but Jacob does know how uh, to manipulate things, that's what he starts to, to do. Verse 7, the reaction of the news was that Jacob was greatly afraid, filled with fear and distressed filled with worry it's a wonderful combination isn't it but <laughs> that's that's what he's filled with and then under the uh you know kind of weight of that the influence of that he goes into action and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two companies and he kind of says to himself if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it then the other company uh, which is left will escape so he breaks his family up breaks his herds and everything up into into two groups actually his herds and and wealth and servants into two groups he keeps his family with him and and he's going to put some distance between the two groups so if Esau comes swoops down on on them with the 400 men and he slaughters one group uh, that maybe he'll think that that's all that there was uh, to uh, Jacob and, and what he possessed and, and then one half of the group would uh, survive in uh, the you know this attack and so he, he doesn't know what again Esau's frame of mind is he has to kind of be prepared for uh, anything now the interesting thing in being filled with the, the uh, greatly afraid and distressed what has uh, Jacob done he has completely forgotten how God protected him from Laban uh, not too long ago. Isn't it amazing what, what short uh, re- memories we have and what great forgetteries we have uh, when we fight, face the new crisis that requires faith and the thing that is completely beyond our resources and would fill us with worry and fill us with fear. Sometimes it's, it's like every time we face that we're facing it for the first time because we forget our history with God. And all of us who've walked with the Lord for any length of time, uh, we have a history to look back on where what we are facing uh, today, what we are facing tomorrow, what we will face next week, it's not a blank uh, blackboard. Uh, we have a history of God being faithful to us that we need to remember and bring to bear on this situation in order to, to give us perspective that we need. But he forgets here and, and starts to move into this other other way of of doing things so uh, uh, at this point in his relationship uh, with the Lord Jacobs still the kind of guy that devises a plan and then prays he's going to pray here in in verse 9 in just a moment and the better the better way he'll get there but but we need to observe it for our own lives in case we're kind of where Jacob is right now a better way is to pray and then have God give us his plan for the situation or his reassurance in the situation and and then do whatever it is that he tells us but Jacob's the kind of guy now where he's going to put his plan in 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 play he's going to get the whole thing rolling and then he's going to ask God now now bless this great thing that I've done and Jacob said O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Jacob the Lord who said to me return to your country and to your family so he heard that from God and I will deal well with you. He reminds God of the promises that God has made to him. 
That is a wonderful prayer to take the promises of God and say, God, uh, I remember where you said in Ephesians chapter 3 or in Ephesians chapter 1, this promise of that, and, and Lord, and, and so just like you have said to me in your word, and you remind God of his promises. Why? Because God forgets his promises. He doesn't forget his promises. And we remind him of his promises so that we're reminded of his promises because we forget them. Isn't like God said, boy, Jacob, man, I forgot all about that. <laughs> Excuse me, been a rough week. And uh, so it's never that way with, with God. It's good for us to remind the Lord, Lord, you promised me this. That's why I'm here in the middle of this situation to begin with. You said these things to me, and I am not worthy of the least of all of the mercies uh, and all of the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my own staff, and now I have two companies. And there's that recognition here that uh, God has blessed him. He left the land with nothing. Now he's coming back with uh, so much that the Lord is, has blessed him with. And, 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 and uh, how good God has been to him and active in his life. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. That's just a clear, direct prayer. God, he is coming, and I don't know what his frame of mind is. Would you deliver me from my brother who's, who's getting here? Just simple, direct prayer. God loves it, and he hears it. For I fear him, he's going to be up front with God, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children, slaughter my wives and my children. For you said, reminds God of his promises again, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now he reminds God of a promise that God had made to him 20 years uh, earlier. And so Jacob lodged there uh, that same night, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. He took 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk cows with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. We've got 580 animals that he kind of puts together in a herd right here. Now he's prayed and he's going to go right back to kind of taking things under his control and trying to work the situation. So he, he's, a, he's a manipulator. He, his name is Jacob, and uh, which means a supplanter. It means somebody who trips other people up to get ahead of them in, in life and that kind of a thing. If you're named Jacob here tonight, relax. The name has been uh, sanctified by God and, uh, and all. But that's what he is. He's not yet Israel. He's not been renamed, you know, governed by God. And so he gets all of these animals uh, out, uh, out together, and, uh, and, and he's going to put them in three waves now. He's going to divide them up into three sections of, of animals. He's going to send some, some men to herd you know, one-third of the flock uh, out ahead, going to give sufficient spacing between the group, send the second one out, another space, send the third one out. So as these wave after wave of kind of blessings come to Esau, all of these 580 animals can have their maximum impact upon him. And if the first wave didn't soften Esau's heart, maybe the second one will. If that didn't, then maybe the third one here. I mean, he's, he's just working all the time. This guy's working this way. Now remember, in those days, if you had 10 of these animals, you were a wealthy man. 
For you to have uh, ten uh, oxen, ten camels, ten of anything in those days, you, you're living middle, upper middle class in those days. So when this guy pulls 580 animals out just to try and manipulate a situation, this guy has, is wealthy, in, incredibly wealthy, how God has made him. It's just a portion of his flock that he uses to send forth. So this would have been an unbelievable amount of, of wealth coming Esau's way. Uh, because Jacob feels like he's got an unbelievable amount of built-up anger that's only been festering for 20 years that he's got a kind of uh, address in, in Esau's uh, life. So he sends them forth, delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and he said to his servants, Pass over before me, put some distance between the successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? This big flock out in the middle of the uh, nowhere. Whose are those, uh, these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present to my lord Esau, and behold, he is coming behind us. And so he commanded the second to do the same thing and say the same thing, the third to say the same thing, do the same thing, and all who followed the drove saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you uh, see him. And also say, behold your servant Jacob, and so he's, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob, my Lord, you know, I mean he's really laying it on pretty thick, and uh, but he's, he's trying to, you know, appease him in this way your servant Jacob is behind us and at least he's he's up front about what he's trying to do here for he said I will appease him with the present that goes before me and afterward I will see his face perhaps he will accept me and so he he does all of this out of a desire to uh, soften uh, his heart and gain acceptance. And so the present went on uh, over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And uh, they stayed behind as the flocks go forward. And then he arose that night and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and they crossed over the ford of Jabbok, and, uh, which is kind of a feeder stream into the Jordan River. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. And so he's going to wait till morning. He knows he's not going to run into Esau that night. And so uh, he sends his family over the brook where they're going to need to go the next day. He needs some quiet time to think all of this over a little bit, just to be alone for a while. And so he stays on the other side uh, of, of the brook. And uh, so then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now we'll find out in verse 30 that this man is none other than God that he's wrestling with all night. And what you have here is what is known as a theophany or a Christophany, and that is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. So he's wrestling with God. God the Father is a spirit. You can't wrestle with him in a physical way, so he must be wrestling uh, with Jesus here in, in a Christophany. So he wrestles with him all night until the breaking of day. Verse 24 is an amazing verse, especially if you've done any wrestling. 
Do we have any people that did competitive wrestling? Junior high, high school, college in the room. Hand up real high. Got one in here. Several. Oh my, we've got all kinds here. All right. Wow. All right. Uncle. <laughs> How many of you did a little wrestling though growing up? Just done thinking. Just big brother, little brother, older sister, and <laughs> just whooper, you know, just kind of a thing. How many of you have watched uh, wrestling, not wrestling, but wrestling in the Olympics? Probably most of us have. I mean, have you ever, except maybe the heavyweights, you ever seen a a fitter group of people? I mean, you, you can not only see every muscle in their body, you can see every vein in their body. And you watch them wrestle. For those of you who've wrestled, what, how long is the period? Is it two minutes? How many? Three minutes, just like boxing then. Okay, so you're three minutes out and then a break. Got a one-minute break? How long is the break before? You've got three, three rounds, right? How long is the break? One minute between them? Okay, we've got this established. Huh? Huh? No break? So there's three minutes and it's done? Huh? Okay, I gotta hit a little bit louder now. Oh my! Is this Olympics or college? Okay. Well, so there's a difference then between these two. Okay, which one has the break, Olympic or college? None of them have. What Olympics was I watching? Okay, let's go back to the texture. I'm gonna have to get straightened out on all this. But, but you know, you watch those guys... Re- Wait a second. Is it, so what do they do? They start and they go till they finish? What? They switch positions. Okay, so they go for a period, and then after that period, they switch positions. Okay. Okay. Right. So they don't stop, but when, when the period is over, they switch positions, but it's ongoing. Okay. We won't go into track and field tonight. It's an illustration. But you watch those guys. You watch those guys, and I mean, they are about as fit an athlete as you have in the whole world. And, and you look at just a, a few minutes. We'll decide how many minutes another time. But in just a few minutes, I mean, how much has been demanded from them. And, and here is Jacob. He wrestles with the Lord all night. All I know about it is this. I did a little wrestling. You'd call it wrestling. In, uh, in junior high, we had to do it in our PE class. And you just, it's like boxing, you, but even more. But you, you do that wrestling, and after a period of time, I mean, your lungs are on fire trying to pull air in, and the whole deal, it's exhausting. Do you know how strong a person, those of you in wrestling, you know, I mean, it's off the graph, how strong this guy is to wrestle with God all night. And he won't give up. And he won't give up. I remember one time I wrestled my brother, my twin brother. And we had a cousin come out from back east, and he decided that he was going to help us determine which one was the tougher. And, uh, and so my brother Gabe, and uh, at that time, 
he was probably two inches shorter than me and a little bit lighter than me. We both didn't weigh anything. And uh, now he towers over me and he's a giant and he could break my neck. But uh, that happened after his senior year in high school. He just takes that ball and just dunks it, boom, like that. I was so glad he couldn't do it before then because uh, he'd have whipped me in basketball too. But I remember he put us in the backyard and they put a mattress out there which we completely destroyed and, and he just had us like fight to the death. And I mean, I could not get him to say uncle. I mean, just it was going to do him major, major physical harm. And, uh, and he, you couldn't get it out of, he just was, he was going to die before he said it. And, uh, and so this kind of stuff goes on in homes. I'm not commending it, but, but it, but it does. But here he wrestles all night long with God. And he won't break. When we talk about Jacob being a strong person, a strong, determined, I am going to win, I am not going to lose, I'm going to come out ahead on this, this is the kind of determination and kind of inner strength that this man had. He's wrestling with Jesus, and he, and he will not, and does so all night long until the breaking of day. And when he, that is Jesus, this man that he's wrestling with, saw that he did not prevail against him, it isn't, it will get into the fact that, you know, he could have whooped him in a second, but God's trying to do something else in his life. When he, that is Jesus, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, how many of you have wrestled? Let me get out of the lights here. How many of you have wrestled? It's no good. They're all over the place. How many of you have wrestled and then had your hip go out of joint in the course of the wrestling match? All right. Well, Jacob's in a legal one now on this, isn't it? I remember one time, look at this, I feel like an evangelist. Where's my hanky? That feels good, actually. No, we don't want to go there. I remember, I think it was a TV show, watching it many, many years ago. And I thought about Jacob and this whole thing. And uh, there was a, a group of men who were going to ride their motorcycles across the Sahara Desert. And they had been physically training for it for months. They'd got their bikes all situated and, and uh, the gear and everything for desert, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they were fit, young, ready to hit this thing. Very experienced. One to two days into the desert, one of the guys spills his bike. And, and he comes down off of the bike, and when he lands, even into the sand or whatever he landed on, he dislocated his shoulder. Now, there's, not, there's no EMTs out there to call on the thing. Dislocates his shoulder, and he dislocates his hip. And he said on, on the show, as he was talking about it, he said, the pain in my hip from being out of uh, dis, uh, disjointed. He said, it was so great that I could put the weight of my entire body on my dislocated shoulder in order to take weight off of my hip, and I never noticed the pain in my shoulder. He said it was the most excruciating thing that he knew, the hip out of joint. So here he is, he's wrestled all night with God, he's got a hip out of joint. I mean, you're talking about unbelievable pain here in, 
and all that that he's uh, in in the middle of and then he that is this man Jesus said let me go for the day breaks and Jacob said to him I will not let you go unless you bless me now don't picture in your mind that Jacob has the Lord Jesus like pinned and they're waiting for the double slap you know on the the mat or something like that now we move into a, the boxing side of things you ever seen a boxing match where the guy's just getting pummeled to death but he won't give up and he just keeps hugging that guy, you know, and he just, and, and now he's holding on to his opponent, you know, for dear life, hoping for some miracle to happen. Maybe the guy will trip, hit his head on the rope in the corner and be knocked out. And that's what Jacob is doing. He's just holding on for, for dear life, completely exhausted. And Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, if it's not written in your margin there, you ought to put it in, in the margin to refer to. It gives us the tone of, of Jacob's voice and the tone of his heart when he speaks this to the Lord. He's weeping, he's crying, he's desperately clinging to God. Hosea puts it this way, yes, he, that is Jacob, struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him and found him in Bethel and there uh, he spoke to us. And so he's weeping, he's crying, he's begging this one that he is, uh, that he is wrestling with uh, for a blessing, for favor. And then Jesus said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. It's interesting that here the Lord would ask him what his name is. It's not because... You know, the Lord doesn't know what his name is. He's going to make him say what his name is. What's your name? My name is Jacob. My name is supplanter, manipulator, heel catcher. You know, that's, that's my name. God makes him say it, makes him confess it, and then in essence is saying to him, look where it's gotten you in life. You're a strong man. You're an incredible man in terms of the measure of men, but look at where you're directing all of this strength and see where it's put you. You've got Laban behind you. You can't go back. You've got Esau in front of you. You can't go forward. Look at where your strength and your manipulations have taken you. Your unguarded, unguided strength has taken you in, in life. And notice the blessing then that the Lord gives to Jacob. And all of us are Jacobs, by the way. Every single one of us, we may have more or less strength, usually less than Jacob has. But one of the wonderful things about life, it's painful, but it's a wonderful thing when this happens between a person and God. We come to the end of our strength, the end of our manipulations, the end of our abilities, the end of all, all of, uh, of this, and, and we're, we're broken, all of our cleverness, it all adds up to a life that we look at, and God says, now look at that. Look at what you, you've done and what you've made for all of your genius and all of your strength. It's interesting to me, sometimes you see people that, you know, they reject God, they reject the existence of God and, and all of these things, and they consider themselves so bright and such geniuses, and then you look down at their feet and they've got a blue sock and a black sock on. can't even match their socks. You take that on into life, you know, a little bit further. And, and here, he's just exposing him. Take a good hard look at your life and see if you don't need me in your life he's praying for that blessing 
And then the Lord said to him, Your name, here's the blessing, shall no longer be called Jacob, manipulator, supplanter, heel catcher, but Israel. He changes his name. And the name Israel means governed by God. It means ruled by God. That's the blessing that God gives him. That's the greatest blessing that a human life can receive in life is to go from being a self-made, self-whatever man, a manipulator, a con man, a conniver, all of these kinds of things, and then to move from that once we realize that this is no kind of life, the best that I can produce is far from what I want life to be, and then I go over and I surrender to God, and then God names me governed by God, where it's a reality in our lives where our lives truly become now from this point forward governed by God that's the greatest blessing that God can give a human being and he gives it to Jacob here and Jacob then uh, speaks to him and and, uh, no the Lord speaks to him and says for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed prevailed He's a sweaty, sobbing, (laughs) hip-out-of-joint mess. And he's prevailed with God. He did prevail with God. How did he prevail? Prayer and brokenness, humility, surrender, and coming to the Lord in in this, this way. No one truly prevails in life until God prevails in their life. Sometimes some of you know. And I've prayed for you, or your children, or some kind of a situation. Very often I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, I pray that you win in this situation. Lord, you know what that looks like in this situation. But Lord, I know that if you win in the situation, everybody wins in the situation. However painful it may be in the middle of the process. And, and so here it is, the great, greatest thing happens is that God wins in his life and he has prevailed by virtue of his surrender to uh, the Lord. And then Jacob asked and said to this one he's wrestling with, tell me your name, I pray. And uh, the Lord said, uh, why is it that you ask about my name? And he's not going to give him his name. And I don't know why. We'll ask maybe in heaven if you care about it. And then the Lord blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. And for I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over uh, Penuel, the sun rose on him. He limped on his hip. Now, what a night that's been. He must have been a wreck when he showed up to the family. You know, ever had a night like that? You know, this is... And therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he, the Lord, touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and, and now he's in this, just this terrible kind of condition, physically speaking. I mean, he has no ability to manipulate the situation. At least before the night he had it, he could run. Or ride a camel. Who's going to ride a camel with your hip out of joint? I mean, God has taken away every option that he has in the face of what's coming his way except to trust him. Man, that's hard when God does that. But it's where we grow on, on things. 
And so here it is. He looks up and, and now before he can get a couple of hours of Shaddai after the evening and all, here is Esau coming and with him are those 400 men that he's been hearing about. And so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children uh, in front, then Leah and her children behind, and then Rachel and Joseph last. So uh, in, in the order of his wives, he puts Rachel and Joseph in the back, in the safest place, and, and still indicating that the great love of Jacob's life always had been and still is Rachel. He puts her in the safest place. And then he crosses over before them and so he leads his family now and he bowed himself to the ground seven times he just keeps this uh, bowing going on uh, until he came near uh, to his brother and uh, so that's what Esau is seeing as he's approaching his brother now wave after wave of animal now his brother is bowing down uh, be before him and uh, uh, is this, this humility, I'm no threat to you uh, kind of, of thing. But Esau uh, ran to meet Jacob and he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now that, that wasn't the reaction that, that Jacob was anticipating from him. I mean that's an amazing series of words, isn't it? Ran, embraced, uh, kissed, wept. That wasn't what he expected to have come, come from uh, his, his brother. He thought Esau's coming, 400 men, they're going to they're gonna slaughter uh, all of us here in, in, uh, in, in this thing. I think that in this, Esau is a commendable person. When we, when we see him in the scriptures, I mean, it's been obvious that he lacks spiritual discernment. He doesn't really have kind of a, a, a concern for God and a, a spiritual depth that would allow God to make him uh, the patriarch of this family that's going to bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, into the world. But he is basically a good man in, in the situation. Uh, he shouldn't, Jacob should be the leader. That's why God made him the leader. But, but he's a good guy. He shows up here on, on the scene angry 20 years uh, earlier. And uh, he's willing to forgive at this point. He's eager for reconciliation uh, with, his, with his brother. Now I'm inclined to believe that what happened here in the situation, uh, pretty likely, is that Esau headed off not knowing whether Jacob was coming for a fight with him. So he brought all the resources that he had, which was the 400, uh, 400 men. But I think there's a soft heart behind the whole, the whole thing. Or it may very well be that he's heading to take Jacob's head off, and somewhere along the way that God speaks to him in the same way that he spoke to Laban and warned him, don't touch Jacob. Uh, because we're going to have problems if you try uh, to do that. And when Jacob greets Esau in just a moment, he's going to say, when I saw your face, I saw the face of God. In other words, when I saw that your countenance toward me and your attitude toward me was one that was favorable, I recognized that God is behind this. And, and I see that he's been at work. So the Lord might have been working both ends of this thing as they're kind of uh, running together. It, 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 isn't it interesting that just about 99.44%, uh, at least 90% of the things that we worry about in life 
end up not being something that you need to worry about at all. I mean, he's all worried and anxious and the whole thing. He's living in God's will. He's obeying God and, and the whole thing. And he's, he's worried to death. And there's nothing to worry about. I, one of the fa- famous quotes that I like about worry is that it's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't accomplish anything. And that's the way that it is. Nobody should worry while we're in, in the middle of God's will. And so here he's anxious and everything, and uh, God has been taking care of, of the situation as they, they now come together. And he lifted his eyes, uh, Esau did, and he saw the women and the children, and he said, Who are these uh, with you? And so Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the maidservants came near. They and their children, they bowed down. And Leah also came near, and her children, they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. And then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? You know, all these flocks and herds that you're sending out in, in, ahead of you. And Jacob said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. I was trying to manipulate you, brother. That's what the whole thing was about. Try and soften you and get your favor out of this deal. I've got to give him points for being honest. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God. I see God's favor in all of this, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And so he urged him and he took it. And then Esau said, let us make, uh, take our journey. Let us go and I'll go before you. And, but Jacob said to him, and the idea is, come on, let's, let's make our way to Seir. Uh, come down to where I'm living and all. Jacob said to Esau, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and the herds which are nursing with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, then all of the flock will die. You've got 400 men. You're on camels or you're on horseback or something. You need to move along quickly. If we tried to keep up with you, I'd kill a portion of my flock and my children in in doing that. We can't keep that kind of a pace, but we don't want to hold you up either. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant, and I'll lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go, bo- uh, which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. So you go to Seir, and, and we're right behind you, and uh, we'll just go at a slower pace. He has no intention of going to Seir. It's just lying through his teeth. And, and here God has, has shown himself so strong on his behalf here in the situation. And he's going to revert right back to manipulation, deception, and lying to get himself out of the pickle. And so rather than just saying, no, God has told me that I am to return to the land of my fathers. I am returned to return to my family. That is our father Isaac. If he were to say that kind of thing, it would make Esau realize that Jacob is coming now to fulfill what God's called him to do as the head of the family, having the birthright and the blessing. He doesn't want to open that can of worms, and so he lies to get out of the immediate situation. 
So he's still, he's got two names right now. He's got the name Israel ruled by God, and he's got Jacob. (laughs) Sometimes he's going to live thoroughly up to this name. Other times he's going to live up thoroughly to this name. And it won't be long that God will use the names interchangeably on the basis of how he conducts himself in a given situation. Whether he reverts to his old nature, dealing with things, you know, uh, as the old Jacob would, or, or in the way that one who was ruled by God would deal with them. And so... Here he is. He just wants out of a, a difficult thing. Listen, you head on out there and, you know, get the fodder ready for the flocks and, and everything. We're right behind you. Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the men who are with me. Let me leave an escort, a, a, body, a bodyguard with you. And, and Jacob doesn't want that because he knows he's not going to go to Seir. And he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And so Esau, he takes a man at his word. He returned that day on his way to Seir. And they will not meet again until they bury their father together several years later. And Jacob journeyed uh, to uh, Sukkoth. And so here is, uh, you've got Israel north and south, and, uh, and, and Esau leaves that place, the, the, the uh, brook, Jabbok, uh, brook of Jabbok, and he goes straight south down to the southern uh, uh, tip of, of the Dead Sea. And then what does uh, Jacob do? He takes, uh, uh, does a hard 90 and goes due west <laughs> to suck off. I mean, he doesn't even take two steps to the south and uh, trying to get to where it is that he wants to go. So he goes there, he builds himself a house, and he made booths for his uh, livestock. And therefore, he called the name of the place uh, Sukkoth, which means booths. He just named, they're very literal in those days, so he just names it after what it is that he has uh, done there. And then Jacob uh, came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. So now he uh, crosses over the river Jordan. Now he is formally uh, in, in the land of, of Israel, comes to the Shechem, and when he came from, uh, let's see, let's start over again. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and uh, he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of silver. And then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe uh, Israel. Uh, and, and so this is uh, his move that he makes. Buying land, verse 19. He settles in next to Shechem and he buys land. And uh, when you buy land somewhere, that's an indication that you're going to settle in and stay for a while. And he intends to settle in near Shechem and, and to stay there for a while. There's a real big problem with that. And it's a problem that God knew about. And that's why God told him, go to Hebron or go to where your father is and your family is. The problem with settling next to Shechem is it was a Canaanite city. And it was one of the most wicked Canaanite cities in in all of of the land at uh, at that time. So he's settling next to a very wicked city, a city filled with very, very bad uh, influence. It is one thing for the Lord to take us as a missionary uh, to another place around the world or maybe to another part of the town that we live in. 
that is a dangerous place and maybe an ungodly place. God can do that. He does that all the time with His people. But He gives them the grace to go there and then to live the life that He wants them to to live there. And He gives the grace both to the parents and to the children, if the children are involved. So I don't want to give you the idea that God can't move His people uh, into places that are ungodly as a part of His plan. But this was not a part of His plan for Jacob. Jacob is not supposed to be here, and he is not supposed to take his family here. But that's what what he he does. And Jacob is very, very much at fault here in all of this. God said, again, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. You might write it in your margin. His father there in Hebron, and Jacob is not going to end up in Hebron until the end of chapter 35. And between this point of his self-will, where he knows better than God, and he's going to make decisions, and he's going to fall back into his own ways, and he's going to deliberately disobey God, and the time that he ends up where he's supposed to be, enormous damage is going to be done to his family. And, And it's very, very sad. God wanted him to go to Hebron so that he and his children would be around the influence of others that worship the Lord, worship the true and the living God. And here they are in a land that's filled with paganism and and sexual immorality and all kinds of wickedness and and these kinds of, of things. And for him to take and get around his family in Hebron, that was a place that was relatively safe spiritually for him and the children and his wives, safe, relatively speaking, for them physically. But he thinks he's smarter than God here, so he disregards God's commandment here, and and he puts his family in a danger that God knew his family was not ready for. And Jacob's a little bit like um, uh, Lot in all of this. Lot was able to maybe handle the wickedness of Sodom, But his family was not able to handle that wickedness. Jacob, maybe he's able to, you know, navigate the wickedness of Shechem and get along and not be tainted by it and not become a victim of it and all. But his family is not able to do that. And when God directs us as fathers, when he directs us as parents, it isn't, sometimes we can be so egocentric that we think it has everything to do with us and he is speaking to us maybe not even with us foremost in mind but what he where he knows our children and our family to be at a given point in time what they can endure and and all and so Shechem it was a better place than Hebron when you had a lot of flocks and a lot of herds because it was near the Jordan River and that's where the green stuff was where you could you could uh, pasture those those herds Hebron much higher elevation much more desolate kind of place it, it wouldn't be as as good a place I mean uh, Shechem was the better place for uh, flocks for herds for prosperity but Hebron was the better place for raising a family and uh, and he takes and he makes a choice that's exactly backwards and it's going to be a lot of problem I think it speaks to us as parents, just like when we looked at Lot and his failure there. For the sake of our children, 
We need to be unswervingly obedient to God's Word, to His direction from His Word, and then His personal direction to us as husbands and as wives and and as parents in our family. And what He does is He stops short of where it is that God has called Him to go. He's gone all the way from Padan Aram. He's come all the way from Mesopotamia. He's made the journey that 550 miles to get to Shechem. And he's a couple of stones throw away from Hebron. And he stops. He's obeyed God 90%. And then he stops. And it's not good enough to obey God 90%. Because Shechem is too wicked for it. This world is too wicked a place to be found obeying God, especially when we have authority and people are influenced by our decisions. Always, but as parents for sure on things, is even more important. Where does God want us to be? And we need to hear that from God. And then we need to go all the way there. What has God called you to be in your life? What calling, what gifting has He given to you? What ministry does He want you involved in for the expansion of His kingdom? What what is the plan that He has for your life? And we get in this crazy thing, you know, in the United States of America, it happens probably everywhere in the world, where we feel like there's just like this class curve. That if I obey God 90%, that's acceptable to Him. But it's the 10% that will kill us. God, when God speaks, think about who's speaking when God speaks. One day we're going to see Him face to face. But think about who's speaking. And He is due 100% obedience in our lives. He never wastes His words. There's always a reason for what it is that He tells us. And maybe you've got a thing where you're settling down near Shechem... And it's not God's plan for your life. Maybe you've even bought a piece of land and you've looked at it and say, you know, I've given God 90% of my life and 90% of this and that. I've got a little room for me to do some leeway and have things the way that I want. Look out. Look out. God knows what can blindside us overnight in the wickedness of this world. He's to be obeyed 100%. That is the only safe place in this world for me and then for my family and those others that are are affected then by the decisions that we make. He is dead wrong in what he's doing here. He is dead wrong. And he builds an altar there as if the altar will mean anything to God. It doesn't do any good to offer some kind of a sacrifice and to take and build an altar to the Lord while I'm living in deliberate disobedience to Him. Because the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. That's the greatest altar, that's the greatest sacrifice we can offer Him, is to obey Him 100% in our lives. And so he takes and he erects this altar that means nothing to God because God sees the trouble that's coming.
And sometimes we can think, you know, I'll engage in this spiritual activity and I'll do this thing and that and it'll all be okay and God will forget about the other 10%. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says that the commandments of God are not burdensome. They are not troublesome. And they aren't. God gives the commandments that He gives because they protect us. They lead us into life. And they're good for us. And so God doesn't say, say, you know, he couldn't look at this and say, well, boy, you know, I really, it, the Bible could have been about this thick, but I just had to throw a bunch of stuff in there because, you know, nobody takes serious a book that's just this thin. You don't realize how big a Bible could be if, if, if God wasn't a, a concise speaker on things. Every single thing is important. And in, in this lesson, I look at Jacob as he falls back into that place. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward right now. And we'll just spend a few minutes in worship to just look and let it search our hearts tonight. And say, Lord, I want to be Israel. I want to be governed by God. I want to be ruled by God for my own sake, for the sake of my children, for the sake of, of your reputation and your name surrounding me. And if there's any kind of a thing here, just the weight of the world, I don't intend to be unduly heavy or anything like that, but I want the full force of the Word to be built into our lives. Where I kind of got this 80-20 with God, 50-50 with God, 90-10 with God. Don't do it. Don't do it. The only safe place, the only safe place in this world is to be 100% right in the middle, obedient, to God. So let's worship the Lord. And then if He brings anything to our remembrance in our own personal life that we need to repent of and turn away from, this is a great time to do that so we can all head to our cars and know I'm right with God.